One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we are talking about the true zombie game. The true game that didn't start the phenomena, but definitely finished it in a way. And brought another gem from the Valve archives. Zombie culture was so huge in the mid to late 2000s. I mean, mm-hmm. we had obviously Left 4 Dead. We had Dead Rising. We had your favorite comic book series turned into a TV show. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm talking about The Walking Dead. Even beyond that, there was Call of Duty, uh, World at War. You had the zombie mm-hmm. mode. Everyone was trying to do some kind of zombie game, but Left 4 Dead did it in a way that was, like, original, a lot of fun. And you and I played this a lot. Yeah, you took the FPS genre and kind of a wave defense idea and brought it together in a way that we hadn't really seen before. And a lot of this we're going to talk about is really due to the engine that they built for the AI and for what it took to like get these zombies to spawn, to work in the ways that they did. But it made a game, not only the first one, the second one as well, such a replayable delight that the name of it has just lived on and has lived on through what Valve creates because apparently Valve will touch two of a thing, make it fantastic and keep it at that. (laughs) And even like beyond the, I mean... Yeah, there were two games, but like the second game, the first game, those games kept their value for such a long Mm -hmm. time. Like you couldn't go into a gaming store and just buy one of these games for like $2. You had to be willing to spend money because they were so good. Mm -hmm. And originally could only get them through Orange Box, you know, through this combo pack that Valve put out to dive into the console community. And even today, like whenever we have a Steam sale on PC, like they're for a couple bucks, but they're still one of the most purchased games because you have people constantly adding to their library, people constantly becoming new PC players or new kids starting out and wanting to play these amazing games that have really lent themselves to the test of time. Absolutely. So Left 4 Dead is a 2008 multiplayer survival horror game developed by Valve South and published by Valve. The game uses Valve's proprietary source engine and is available for Microsoft Windows, Xbox 360, and Mac OS X. Development on the game was completed on November 13, 2008, 
and two versions were released digitally. A downloadable digital version released on November 17, 2008, and a digital retail disc version with a release date determined by region. The digital retail disc version was released in North America and Australia on November 18, 2008, and in Europe on November 21, 2008. Set during the aftermath of a zombie outbreak on the East Coast, the game puts its four protagonists, dubbed the survivors, against hordes of the infected. There are four game modes. A single-player mode in which allied characters are controlled by AI, a four-player co-op campaign mode, an eight-player online versus mode, and a four-player survival mode. In all modes, an AI dubbed the director controls level pacing and item placements in an attempt to create a dynamic experience and increase replay value. In that attempt, it did, and it did its well. And we can thank those over at our company that had worked under kind of Valve South for it, and that is Turtle Rock Studios. Turtle Rock Studios was founded by Michael Booth. Prior to the company's establishment, Booth, Phil Rop, and Chris Ashton worked for Westwood Pacific and participated in the development of real-time strategy games like Command & Conquer Red Alert. Ashton, who had worked for Presto Studios, was impressed by Counter-Strike, which was a popular mod for Half-Life, and decided to join the mod team as a texture artist. Eventually, Seattle-based Valve, the publisher of Half-Life, purchased the mod, and Ashton left Westwood to join Valve. Robin Booth remained at Westwood Studios and worked on Command & Conquer Yuri's Revenge and Command & Conquer Generals, but left the company after it was acquired by Electronic Arts. As Rob considered EA's acquisition of Westwood had resulted in the studio losing all of its personality. Turtle Rock Studios was founded in 2002. The team of about six people had limited resources to set up workspace in Booth's garage. The name Turtle Rock was derived from the name of a neighborhood where Booth had lived in. The team expanded the studio and rented an office, and continued the development of Condition Zero. The game was released in 2004, and satisfied with the work done by Turtle Rock, Valve continued to contract them to work on the Xbox version of Counter-Strike, as well as the next installment of the series Counter-Strike Source and Half-Life 2 Deathmatch. Upon the release of Source, the company wanted to work on a new game, and gained the support from Valve. The team later chose to design a first-person wizard combat game. So close to the original, of course. So close. <laughs> As the team had developed only competitive multiplayer games before, they wanted to design a game that encouraged and supported cooperative gameplay between players. A game that would allow family and friends to play together instead of against each other. Citing Secret of Mana as an example. The team decided to use source code from Counter-Strike to develop a mod called Terror Strike, which is a scenario where players fight against bots, which are equipped only with knives and act like zombies. They also changed the texture of the game to create a gritty, dark atmosphere. It was not conceived as a full-budget project at the time, but meanwhile the wizard combat game was scrapped as the team considered the project overly complicated and geeky. They decided to use the canceled project as a prototype to work on the zombie game. The idea of developing a zombie game grew after the team watched 28 Days Later, a critically acclaimed zombie film. 
The film helped the team brainstorm ideas for their zombie game, and after that, the team decided to remove all the Counter-Strike content and started developing the zombie game in which players have to plant zombie bait and kill all the zombies present in the level. The focus later shifted to evacuating and surviving in a zombie-infested area, and the project was later presented to Valve, which helped the game's funding and publishing. The project's name was Left 4 Dead, and its development began in 2005. The title was announced on November 20th, 2006. It was released in November 2008 for Microsoft Windows and the Xbox 360. On January 10th, 2008, before the release of Left 4 Dead, Valve announced that it had purchased Turtle Rock in an effort to expand the company's console market. Gabe Newell, founder and president of Valve, added that it was an easy decision for the company to make, as they had high expectations for Left 4 Dead and considered themselves having a long-term relationship with Turtle Rock. After being acquired by Valve, Turtle Rock served as Valve's in-house satellite development team and was renamed Valve South. With the establishment of Valve South, 9 to 11 employees moved to work at Valve's headquarters in Seattle. After their departure, Valve felt that the size of the team at Valve South was too small to allow it to operate as a AAA studio, and that coordination between the two studios was difficult, as they were physically apart from each other. Meanwhile, Turtle Rock felt that the team's communication with Valve was lacking, and they were dissatisfied with Valve and the slow progression of projects. As a result, Newell proposed that Turtle Rock to be split from Valve, and that Valve South be shut down after the shipment of Left 4 Dead. Valve retained the rights to Left 4 Dead franchise, which allowing the name Turtle Rock and its logo to be used again by the original team. The news was later confirmed by Doug Lombardi of Valve on June 3rd, 2009. And yes, yeah, so they ended up separating, not being able to work on their you know, pet project they had for a bit, but we do see them returning uh, with Back for Blood getting back into that zombie genre later down the road, kind of bringing back that same mentality they had of making this cool zombie-esque game with an intuitive AI with it. And this is the best FPS version of zombie games, I think. Mm-hmm. Left 4 Dead just really changed the genre. Obviously, we had all these apocalyptic type of games, apocalyptic types of scenarios within film or television or whatever else. And Left 4 Dead was a lot of fun. It was it was almost like a party game in a lot of ways. But, you know, the, the fact that they were able to create this and then unfortunately have to move on was leaving a, a pretty big gap in that industry. I'm glad that Back for Blood exists. Mm-hmm. But I miss Left 4 Dead. Yeah. And then we do see some great stuff come out of the second game for sure. Especially, you know, being on the marketplace to have mods and various other things with it. And you're right. Like, you know, again, we're going to break down the AI of it, but it made the replayability. It made you keep coming back. And it was kind of the start of those roguelike games of the idea of constantly going into something and bits of it always being different. So you always have to kind of change up the way you adventure. Absolutely. So, development on Left 4 Dead started in mid-2005. Turtle Rock Studios aimed to create a horror film-inspired game that merges single-player games, character-driven narrative structure with multiplayer games, social interaction, and high replayability. The game was first revealed in the Christmas 2006 publication of PC Gamer UK, 
with a six-page article describing a playthrough at Turtle Rock Studios headquarters. A teaser was released with the orange box, and the game was first playable at the Showdown 2007 LAN in San Jose and at QuakeCon in 2007. Turtle Rock Studios announced Left 4 Dead on November 20, 2006 and was acquired by Valve on January 10, 2008 because of the game and long-standing relationship between the companies. The game opened up to pre-purchasing on Valve's Steam system on October 15, 2008. To give Left 4 Dead significant exposure, Valve financed a $10 million marketing campaign for the game in the United States and Europe, with advertisements appearing on television and print, websites, and outdoor placements in many cities. Valve also hosted photo contests called Dude, Where's My Thumb, offering copies of Left 4 Dead to people who submitted the best picture involving zombies or the outdoor advertising. And of course, Dude, Where's My Thumb, Great reference to the classic, dude, where is my car? And again, it's, it's so smart to start out like a new IP, like here's 10 million, put stuff out there, get fans involved. Here's free copies of it for like being involved in this cool co- zombie-esque thing. Like we're in the heat of it. We're in the, the, the high times of zombies. Let's get it out there. Left 4 Dead uses the 2008 version of Valve's Source Engine with improvements such as multi-core processor support and physics-based animation to more realistically portray hair and clothing, and to improve physics interactions with enemies when shot or shoved in different body parts. Animation was also improved to allow characters to lean realistically when moving in curved paths. Rendering and artificial intelligence were scaled up to allow for a greater number of enemies who can navigate the world in better ways, such as climbing, jumping, or breaking obstacles. Those witches. Those those spooky witches. Lighting was enhanced with new self-shadowing normal mapping and advanced shadow rendering that is important to convey information about the environment and player actions. Wet surfaces and fog are used to create mood. Many kinds of post-processing cinematic visual effects inspired by horror movies have also been added to the game. There is a dynamic color correction that accentuates details based on importance. Contrast and sharpening to focus attention on critical areas. Film grain to expose details or imply details in dark areas, and vignetting to invoke tension in a horror film like feel. And it really worked. I mean, you don't, I don't think you pay attention to a lot of the stuff when you play games, and maybe, maybe some people do, but the nuances that go in to create the mood, it, it is a cinematic experience that you're having, whether it's a single player game or a multiplayer game, but Lighting goes into it, and just so many other elements have to go into something like this to convey horror or spookiness or scariness or relief. Like when you get to a safe room, like there's so many things that go into it that can shift your mood as you play. Absolutely. And, you know, vignetting was something used on my first professional photo that was ever taken, and I was spooked. I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, ex- ex- Alex was there to help me fix that situation. But, you know, some people don't have that help. And vignetting is uh, very dangerous and scary. Vignetting is the witch of the cinematic world. <laughs> Gotta watch out it's for it. basically the J.C. Penny of <laughs> retail. <laughs> spooky times, my friends. Spooky times. 
So Left 4 Dead underwent many phases of development. Influenced by playtesting, Turtle Rock Studios removed many of the features that were actually originally in the game. In early development, there was another special infected, the Screamer, which had no attacks, but upon spotting a survivor, would run to a safe place and then emit a loud scream that attracted a horde of infected. This infected was removed, but its ability to attract the horde was incorporated into the boomer's vomit. A persistent merit-demerit system was envisioned to provide positive feedback for good behavior, such as aiding a fallen teammate, and negative feedback for poor behavior, such as shooting a teammate. This would provide a score to a rank for a player's effectiveness as a teammate. But this system was removed late in development, kind of in favor of a more immediate, non-persistent feedback display in games, so like you can boot someone if they team kill so many times, versus like them having a longevity of like, they have a score of 300 out of 1,000 because they've been a team killer forever. And right. it's just kind of a game-by-game basis. Well, and this kind of, I think, works its way into Back for Blood. A yes, little bit it, it does. We, so. see, we actually do see a couple of these things make their way into Back for Blood, like the Screamer and a couple other infected that we'll talk about, which were scrapped, have been reinterpreted for uh, their new IP. Another significant element removed was a long introduction between campaigns. Because the game is designed for replayability, it was difficult to hold the player's attention for repeated viewings of cutscenes, so they were dropped in favor of a sparse narrative. In early development, the game began with a big city level with many routes for the survivors, but playtesters were confused when they began to play, and later they always chose the same route. Ultimately, Turtle Rock Studios cut the city maps into the first No Mercy and Dead Air campaigns. I know that I have the attention span of a fly. So, good call, Turtle Rock. Mm-hmm. Certain Affinity assisted Turtle Rock Studios with the Xbox 360 version of the game. The 360 version of Left 4 Dead has the same game modes as the PC version, but has additional features such as support for split screen, allowing for two players to play offline and online from the same console, and system link play. The split screen mode can also be achieved on the PC version, but it requires console commands and may require the modification of controller configuration files, and it is not officially supported. Both versions of the game have a new matchmaking system to simplify the process of finding other players. This new server management system was met with a negative reaction from PC server operators who, with this system, had very little control over their servers. This led to Valve releasing a series of patches that allowed server operators to remove their server from the matchmaking pool of servers or make private servers. Valve runs dedicated servers for both versions of the game. Left 4 Dead went gold on November 13, 2008 and was released on November 18, 2008 in North America and on November 21, 2008 in Europe to coincide with the 10th anniversary of the release of Half-Life. Yeah, so it's interesting to see like what they did leading up to it for the development and you know, listening to their playtesters. Like, I, I think if you just had one big map, it becomes a weird open world mess that didn't have to be. And I like with a lot of the levels in Left 4 Dead, they're linear, but sometimes they have like paths you can choose to take. And you kind of get to pick your way with that. 
even though you're still making your way from point A to B with a couple little things you can do in between, which does, you know, help people out who do explore because you may find better or rarer items that may be in certain areas when they load in because of the AI director or not. So the element of exploration is still in the game. It's just, it's like going bowling with the bumpers up. You're never going to stray too far and you kind of always hit the target. For the most part, you'll do okay. Well, and it was a little bit of hit or miss as well within these games. So if you go exploring a little bit too far, maybe there's a zombie there. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something that you didn't want to find. So there was a little bit of risk reward as well. And I think that that adds to the fun of the game. Like, do you want to stick with your squad? Do you want to be like in a horror movie? Where, oh, here's this person that just kind of stumbles upon this random closet. Are you sure you're going to open that door? So it all felt like it fit really well within the narrative of a zombie game. Absolutely. And one of the big things, this is late 2000s, early 2010s. So we're used to seeing expansion packs, some DLC at the time, but not necessarily a DLC that like, adds more to the game with expanded maps and modifications and mods and and other bits that we don't traditionally see with a studio that doesn't have a huge dollar sign attached to it. I mean, up to this point, uh, my experience with expanded map packs was like the Halo 2, Mm -hmm. I have to buy a new discs. It's like $30. It's not worth it. So to see something like this for DLC for Left 4 Dead was really cool. Absolutely. So Valve intended to support the PC version of the game through free content updates and the Xbox 360 version with DLC. On a podcast by Kotaku, writer Chet Falizek divulged that an announcement regarding DLC for the PC and Xbox 360 would be released very soon, and that the announcement was delayed by the holiday season. On February 5th, 2009, Valve released details about the upcoming downloadable content pack. The two full campaigns of Death Toll and Dead Air for Versus Mode, which were previously unavailable, are included, as well as the survival game mode, where the survivors try to survive endless waves of the infected for as long as possible. On February 11, 2009, Valve announced that the DLC for the game would be free for both the 360 and PC, and on April 21st, it was released. Survival Mode shipped with 16 maps, 15 of them being modified portions of existing maps, and one being a new lighthouse-themed level titled The Last Stand. A Game of the Year edition of Left 4 Dead was released on the PC and 360 on May 12, 2009, with updates and new content included on the disc. On May 15, 2009, an open beta test for the Source Development Kit, or SDK, updated to support Left 4 Dead, was started under the name of the Left 4 Dead Authoring Tools. This included a new set of plugins that allowed for users to import data from SketchUp, a free 3D modeling program, directly into the Hammer level editor for use in maps. The beta was concluded on June 25, 2009, with the full release of Left 4 Dead authoring tools and corresponding server and matchmaking updates to support custom maps. The update included a command line tool for packaging custom Left 4 Dead campaigns to ease distribution. So. Again, a really cool thing to put out. And I think people continually ask for stuff like this. Can we have your source tools? 
if we have that, we can make amazing mods and bring the longevity and life to your games. And when Valve's like, oh yeah, here's the SDK, like go ahead at it. Like here's a command line to like repackage it and actually ship it so people can download and play these things. That's insane. You don't see that from a lot of AAA studios really ever unless the game is so old, they don't care about it. And this era of gaming is where we start to see that divide mm-hmm. where it's, you have certain creators that want to protect the IP so close. They're like, no one else can ever touch this because the fear of having a game out there that's better than what they created is going to cost them financially. And Valve goes in the other direction where they're just straight up like, we're never going to work on this game again. So sure, do whatever you want. Exactly. And hopefully some other people will buy it. (laughs) So a sequel was announced at the 2009 E3 conference and was released on November 17, 2009, addressing concerns voiced by fans. Gaben responded to an email from Kotaku explaining that despite the upcoming sequel, Left 4 Dead would continue to be supported and more content is planned in the coming months. And on August 4, 2009, Valve announced the second DLC pack. It contains a new campaign called Crash Course set shortly after the events of the No Mercy campaign where the survivors try to get to a truck depot after the helicopter they were in crash. It is available for co-op, versus, and survival modes with various tweaks to game mechanics and containing new locations and character dialogue. The DLC was announced to be released on September 29, 2009, on which date it was released for free on PC, but was accidentally released on Xbox Live at a higher price. The price was amended soon after, and all players who bought the DLC at the higher price were refunded. On November 9, 2009, a matchmaking update to allow for matchmaking between teams of four players in Versus Mode was released. An add-on campaign for Left 4 Dead 2 called The Passing featured the Left 4 Dead survivors meeting the new cast as part of a full campaign. The Left 4 Dead 2 content was set for release in March 2010. However, it was delayed until April 22, 2010. To connect the events in The Passing to that of Left 4 Dead, Valve released another add-on in October 2010 for both Left 4 Dead and its sequel entitled The Sacrifice. The events in the add-on take place before The Passing and tells how the Left 4 Dead survivors come to encounter the group from Left 4 Dead 2 and how one sacrificed themselves for the safety of others. It's so cool. And again, it's it's... You're adding new content to an older game to be like, oh, you know what? That is an oversight. Um, yeah, let's let's say how they met and we'll put it in both games. So you can play it on either or. It's such a cool dedication to it. Valve, when they decide to make IPs, I feel like they do a really great job. Mm-hmm. It's just so disappointing that they seem to kind of abandon those ideas. And no one really seems to understand the motivations behind the abandonment. Sure. Because, yeah, it definitely catches up to those things where it's like people are clamoring for, like, TF3. So, like, Team Fortress 3 or Portal 3 or Left 4 Dead 3 or Half-Life 3 or anything yeah. with a 3 will never come about. Like, they do, <laughs> they do the original, the sequel, and spinoffs for it really well. 
They just, I, you know what? I think Gabe signed a deal with the old devil himself. It was like, <laughs> if you put a three in anything, you're done. Otherwise, I will give you the gift of gaming gods until then. I think that's probably what it is. It's just kind of crazy. They have to have someone in marketing that's like, look, by the time that a game hits a trilogy, all of the interest slows down this much. And so Gabe took yeah. that super literally. And <laughs> to be honest, even if that person exists, it's probably true because yeah. by the time, like, you think about a Halo 3, that was when everything sort of peaked and hit the top and we're all super interested in this and then halo 3 comes out and we're thinking this is done we're out gears Mm -hmm. of war you hit the third all right we've had the trilogy we're done we're not interested in four maybe valve's whole motivation is if we don't ever release a three we'll always keep a very high interest in these games yeah and i don't know I mean, I'm not in marketing, but it makes you know, sense. I, I ain't no Gabe. I ain't claiming to be no Gabe. Who's Gabe? Who knows if Gabe? I was Gabe and I had my billions of dollars, I might just kind of be like, all right, yeah, you're probably right. People want to play Left 4 Dead. People want to play Half-Life 3. But I got billions of dollars, so they can wait. I mean, he, listen, he's the ultimate tease. If anyone wants to ask, you know, he's the ultimate tease. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> He knows how to keep you on the hook. He keeps you keeps yeah. you coming back for more. That worm a wiggling on that line. No, he keeps keeps pulling you in. Keeps pulling you in with it. Gabe, old Gabe, you tease. We're gonna <laughs> send this podcast to Gabe. And yes, this is going to. This is actually a love letter to Gabe. Thank you, yeah. Gabe, for your amazing things. <laughs> anyway, back to marketing. <laughs> so, for Gabe and for all of us to promote the game and provide basic training to players before the start of said game. Valve chose to develop a pre-rendered intro movie. This movie was released on Halloween and shows events prior to the beginning of the No Mercy campaign. Valve chose an intro movie over in-game training mechanics because they wanted the players to be immediately dropped into a zombie apocalypse. Valve later detailed in their official Left 4 Dead blog how they designed the movie, from a basic animation in July 2008 to the final result for the launch of the game. Early access to the Left 4 Dead demo for people who pre-ordered the game began on November 6th of 08 for both Windows and Xbox 360. It gave users access to both online and single-player play in two scenes in one, quote, movie within the game. This promotion was being offered in addition to the 10% savings for those who pre-ordered and applies to all Steam Windows pre-orders and all Windows and Xbox 360 pre-orders from GameStop and, rest in peace, EB Games in North America. Rip in peace, EB. I think I technically worked for EB Games, not GameStop. You did. That was an EB until GameStop got it. Yeah. Sadly, no more. But on November 11th, the Left 4 Dead (laughs) demo was made available to all Windows and 360 gamers worldwide. The Left 4 Dead demo was removed from the 360 marketplace and Valve's own Steam, after the game's release on November 18th, 2008. However, it is still available for those that played it. So if it is in your library, you can still download and play that demo today. Oh, that might be in my library. I'm going to have to whip out the old white, cream white (laughs) at this Mm -hmm. point, Xbox 360. Probably not intentionally cream white. But uh, But hey, here we are. (laughs) uh, Let's see if maybe that demo's there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. EB Games, funny story about that. 
uh, in my EB Games interview, I so I worked there for just the winter months just to help them around the time that the Wii came out. And in my interview, the guy said something like, we want to hire you because you come in here and you're not like, oh, I want to work in your gaming store. That was literally what he told me in the interview. That just because I hadn't like nerded out in the in the video game store, they hired me. Hey, so you did it. that shows you, you why the- EB Games doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the demo had many server problems when it launched, primarily Valve strategy for server management, which made it impossible to set up a dedicated private server with administrator controls. However, a stream of patches led to the availability of a server browser and basic private server functionality as well as Valve's acknowledgement of player concerns. It appears that a patch released just before the game itself that resolved many of the connection issues that the demo players were having. On May 1st, 2009, the game was released freely via Steam as a one-day trial called Freaky Free. Friday. Mm. And the trial was then extended to end on Saturday. You had to get the Jamie Lee Curtis approval. Of course, of course. Uh, before you were able to download this game. On October 5th, 2010, the price of the game via Steam was dropped to a US 680 or a four pack for 2040 as a promotion coinciding with the release of The Sacrifice DLC. Yeah, so you can still get the game today for a couple bucks. Get to play it if you haven't already. Um, or, like, again, if you switch to PC or new, start a new account, want to get some library stuff going, servers are still there, still fun to play. Well, and that was pretty huge, too, at the time, because, mm-hmm. like, PS, uh, the PC stuff is there and available, but if you were to, like, walk into a GameStop or a Rest in Peace EB Games or whatever, like, that game held its value for a really long time yeah. on console. And I still think even now it's probably pretty expensive. I haven't checked in a long time. Now Back for Blood is out there. It's got that single-player campaign finally released, so there are other options that play very similarly, but Left 4 Dead was a game that I think people missed for a really long time. It was. It was. And like now you're getting the resurgence of a another mini zombie apocalypse coming out again. You're getting some games, some comics some more shows that are kind of trending in that way. Nothing that's going to be the old 2000 drip. Of that zombie mid drip, to late say. 2000s of zombies was, that mm-hmm. hit something different. You yeah. were a big zombie guy back then. I was. I have, you I still got all those Walking Dead comics. I do. I have a, I have a number two. Off? I have a number two. Oh. I have a number one, but I do have a number two issue. When I was working at the comic book store, that was a pretty pricey comic, so... And I now you can make us. a nice little pretty, pretty penny. Nice little pretty penny. Um, if only. But let's jump into the gameplay. There's a couple things I want to break down for you all. We're going to break down a bit of the campaigns. Let's talk about them a bit. Break down the AI director. And then we'll talk about kind of the story overall. So all original campaigns are divided into five levels. Connected by safe houses. Checkpoints where players can heal, rearm, and revive characters who are killed. Some levels are broken up with crescendo events, which introduce a new obstacle before the survivors can continue moving. In the final chapter of each campaign, the players must defend a position from an onslaught of infected 
until rescue arrives. The four campaigns are No Mercy, a city culminating in a hospital skyscraper, Death Toll, a small town and countryside, Dead Air, a bomb city in an airport, and Blood Harvest, a woodland and farm setting. The two DLC campaigns, Crash Course, was released on September 29th, 2009, set in the industrial outskirts between No Mercy and Death Toll. The Sacrifice, a three-level campaign, released on October 5th, 2010, with an industrial port setting in Georgia. These two new levels that they have added with those contain a number of alternate routes to follow with more supplies, helping to create a sense of non-lineality, or being non-linear. Each campaign typically lasts between 20 to 75 minutes, depending on the difficulty levels. Both platform versions of the game utilize an achievement system, so you know, you know when you're doing well. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. The AI of Left 4 Dead features a dynamic system for game dramatics, pacing, and difficulty called the Director. Instead of fixed spawn points for enemies, the Director places enemies and items in varying positions and quantities based upon each player's current situation, status, skill, and location, creating a new experience for each playthrough. The director also creates mood and tension with emotional cues such as visual effects, dynamic music, and character communication. Valve has termed this dynamic setup procedural narrative. In addition to the AI director, there is a second director that controls music, and it was created as a way to keep the soundtrack interesting throughout the game. The music director monitors what a player has experienced to create an appropriate mix. And the process is client-side and done by a multi-track system. Each player hears their own mix, which is being generated as they play through the game. Dead spectators will hear their teammates' mix in those instances. And a far simpler version of the AI director was previously used for some key battles in Half-Life 2, Episode 2. And Valve is looking for ways to apply the director in their future games to make pacing and difficulty more dynamic. So obviously a very cool concept, tons of FPS games or first-person games in general that are allowing you to sort of see through your teammates' eyes and to have an additional layer of storytelling through music and, Mm -hmm. you know, fear or whatever else, like uh, just a way to make those experiences more 
individualistic, more dynamic, more relative to the fear that the person, you know, you're viewing through your teammates' eyes, what they're experiencing to be able to to really get that full depth, I think is really cool. It yeah. was always very cool within the Yeah, I mean, you figure, you figure in games, it kind of starts rudimentary um, whenever you just have the tonal shift, it's like boss music. Like, like, oh, here we go. And with this yeah. dynamic AI director of being able to kind of shift that on the fly of when things are happening, when you encounter a witch, when an outbreak happens, when zombies start attacking, like, and to be able to shift that on the fly when it's not just a cued area in a game, it does. It, it makes it feel, I wouldn't say more realistic, but more immersive. And it, it Well, right. Like, if, if, if you were about to die and I'm watching it through mm-hmm. your eyes and my music is like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything's cool yeah i'd be like oh, okay alex is about to die this is fun <laughs> but yeah exactly if that. my music's like Mm-mm, and it's sort of like a price is right mm-hmm. uh you just failed scenario which is that was my impression of that very good. then uh yeah no i'd be the, sad for you just like yeah. i was when that woman didn't win the car Exactly. Yeah, and it works in such a way to keep you enthralled, and not only that, to make you adapt your strategy. I mean, when you do hear that witch, and you hear that like wailing, kind of going along with her crying, when you get closer and closer, and then eventually like crescendoing, if you startle her into like just this orchestra going crazy, then it it does it it, it does create that spookiness. Like people are afraid of the witch. <laughs> it's not just like you zoom through it. It's like okay, we got to be quiet. <laughs> go with it there were many many times where you and i would play this game together and even though we're sitting on the couch right by each other like as soon as i hear the witch i'm like oh no Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) something bad is happening absolutely so let's talk about that something bad let's jump into the story of the game so an outbreak of a highly contagious pathogen nicknamed the green flu which causes extreme aggression mutation to body cells loss of higher brain function, and essential zombification of those who catch it, begins in Pennsylvania. Memorial walls, given names and obituaries to those who have died in the infection, suggest that the game takes place in October 2009. Two weeks after the first infection, four immune survivors, Green Beret and Vietnam vet William Bill Overbeck, voiced by Jim French, college student Zoe, voiced by Jen Taylor, district account manager Lewis, voiced by Earl Alexander, and outlaw biker Francis, voiced by Vince Valenzuela, make their way out of the city of Fairfield, only to discover that the infection is creating dangerous mutations in some of its hosts. After narrowly avoiding the new types of infected, the survivors are alerted by a passing helicopter to an evacuation point at the roof of Mercy Hospital. Fighting their way through the city's streets, subways, and sewers, they are rescued from the hospital's roof by the pilot, only to discover that he is infected. Zoe is forced to kill him, causing the helicopter to crash in an industrial district outside the city. Finding an armored delivery truck, the group uses it to reach the small town of Riverside. After encountering a hostile and delirious man in the local church, they discover that the town is overrun and head to a boathouse for rescue. Contacting a small fishing vessel, they are dropped at the city of Newburgh, across the river, finding much of it in flames. Resting in a greenhouse, the survivors are interrupted by a military C-130 Hercules passing overhead, leading them to believe that it will land at the city's airport. The U.S. military had bombed the airport in an attempt to contain the infection, 
though the runway is still partially intact, allowing the survivors to fuel up and escape in the waiting C-130. Like the helicopter before it, this plane also crashes, and the survivors find themselves at the outskirts of the Allegheny National Forest. Following a series of train tracks, the group finally reaches a functioning but abandoned military outpost. And after answering a radio transmission, they make their final stand against hordes of infected before a military APC arrives to supposedly transport them to Northeast Safe Zone Echo, one of the few remaining safe areas. Instead, they are detained in a military installation where they learn that they are not immune and are actually asymptomatic carriers who have infected most of their rescuers. Meanwhile, the base is overthrown by a mutiny, attracting hordes of infected. The survivors escape via train and travel south at the insistence of Bill, who believes they can find long-term safety on the islands of the Florida Keys. At the portside town of Rayford in Georgia, they find a sailboat, but must first raise a lift bridge powered by an aging generator to reach open waters. As the bridge rises, the generator gives out. Bill sacrifices himself to restart it so that the others may reach safety. While waiting for the horde to disperse, the three remaining members encounter the survivors from Left 4 Dead 2. And they agree to help the Left 4 Dead 2 survivors re-lower the bridge so that they can cross in their car. Lewis, Zoe, and Francis then board their boat and set sail for the Florida Keys. It's such a cool story that I don't think anyone's ever really paid attention to. Because it is in so many contexts, clues and just various things that you hear, like overhear from the characters themselves. And it is a really good story. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. And like the turn of like, oh, you're not immune. You've basically been killing everyone who's tried to help you. Yeah. No, it it definitely is a little bit of a twist, and I think that's what makes it fun. And it's a little bit of a run and gun mm-hmm. type of you know campaign, and so like little details like that, sure they can go missed. Yeah, it's so good with that. So let's talk about the game modes overall. We've touched on them, but let's break them down a bit more. Left for Dead contains four game modes: campaign, versus, survival, and single player. The cooperative campaign consists of up to four human-controlled survivors who attempt to make their way between safe rooms and eventually to rescue. In this mode, the special infected are controlled by the AI. In a versus campaign, there are two teams of four players each. They play each chapter as both survivor and infected, swapping sides after each round. The infected team are given vertical pathways, such as pipes and vines, which can be climbed and used for ambushes. Dead survivors do not respawn. If at least one player reaches the safe house, the survivor team earns 100 points, as well as bonuses based on their health and the health items still in their inventory. These points are multiplied by the chapter's difficulty level and the number of survivors who lived. If all survivors are killed, the survivor team only earns points from their progress through the chapter and the difficulty multiplier. The victor is decided by which team scores the highest during the campaign. And finally, survival mode consists of a timed challenge where players try to survive as long as possible against a never-ending flood of the infected, added in April 2009 in the Survival Pack DLC. Single-player mode is similar to campaign mode, but played offline with three AI-controlled bots as the other survivors. On Xbox 360, 
other players can join the same console to turn single player into an offline co-op game. Left 4 Dead can also be played through a system link or LAN connection. Players have also discovered a way that we have talked about to do split-screen co-op on the PC and to uh, make it work out for them. So again, there's many ways to be able to play this, whether by yourself, which is a lot of what I would do if Derek and I weren't really playing with it. The AI was good enough that you're like, oh, yeah. it, they're, they're, they're figuring their way out. They're shooting stuff. Um, but and if is, you if the if the listeners are wondering at all who was killing the most zombies, it was Alex, hundred <laughs> percent of the time. Like I, just, I was kind of like off in the corner, like ooh, I should preserve this ammo, unless you know a screaming individual came at me, and then okay, and then maybe I'd save Alex. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. I'd let him die just to to get my score up. <laughs> just. just. Just to see what death is like. <laughs> to experience death for Yeah, Alex had taken the last ketchup packet at lunch, so I, you know, like, you know what? We're just what gonna let to him, do. we're gonna let him die. Oh, you died? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's talk a little bit about the music and sound. The Left 4 mm-hmm, Dead original mm-hmm. soundtrack was composed by Mike Muraski a formerly contracted composer turned full-time employee at Valve following his work on their 2007 games Portal and Team Fortress 2, so you might have heard some similarities. Mm-hmm. Muraski had previous experience composing experimental music in Japan, touring the world with his hardcore punk rock band, and working as an audio hardware programmer within various companies in Silicon Valley, allowing Muraski to have a wide variety of musical and audio backgrounds to choose from. Because of Left 4 Dead's high emphasis on constant tension and unease, Muraski wanted the music to reflect just that. Dysfunctional and creepy melodies can be heard floating over ambient backgrounds, ranging from strings and brass to dark electronic synthesizers. Dissonant screeching by strings and irregular percussion hits keep the player on their toes as the action slowly grows more intense. Once the player is enveloped by hordes of infected, the music picks up into a more cinematic or hard rock style. And when the player isn't hearing heavy rhythmic percussion, low brass, or recorded screaming, sometimes a heavy rock track will be played. Many of these melodies can be reheard throughout the game in different ways as Muraski relied heavily upon the use of lead motifs in order to give the game soundtrack the final cinematic flair that it was missing. Within the Left 4 Dead universe, the hard rock band Midnight Riders is mentioned several times in the game's dialogue or on posters throughout the maps. It is hinted that they never stopped touring despite the outbreak of the Green Flu, adding a short sub-story to the main campaign for the player to find. Several jukeboxes can be found throughout the game that plays original music by the band, and nearly all of the Midnight Riders' songs are recordings of Muraski himself, specifically on guitar, keyboard, and bass. When one of the jukeboxes is played, a swarm of infected rushes the player to the highly energetic music. That's sort of a callback, I think, in the Back for Blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spoiler yeah, alert. I will say, yeah, there there are a number of, and we get especially in Left 4 Dead too when we get old Joko, old Jonathan Colton in on it, um, who also worked on Portal, uh, doing the Still Alive song. IKEA, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic artist. If you have not listened to Jonathan Colton, we're now a Jonathan Colton podcast. 
Um, he you can the first him. of May is coming up very closely, and it's always yes. Joko Day on the first oh, of May. It's always Joko but. Day on the first of May. The first of May. Well, it's a song. It's <laughs> it's, it's a song. Uh, <laughs> rated R. Over one thousand unique voice lines would be recorded for each playable character, resulting in over four thousand unique voice lines being added to the game. The sounds of the infected were voiced by voice actor Fred Tatsgiore and experimental musician Mike Patton, both of whose extensive experience in experimental singing and modern voice folly helped Left 4 Dead to secure the best use of sound for the PC award from IGN in 2008. There you go. Yeah, I mean, the, the soundtrack, the audio, the mix, the folly, all of the work lends itself so well to, to feel scared. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things in gaming to do. because. You have amazing folly and audio work for horror movies. Even as a B-horror, a lot of the audio is really good because you get that spookiness to it. But you're also an out-of-body experience. Absolutely. So you're like trying, you're trying to warn that person. Like, look out behind you. Like, they're behind you. I mean... Versus... Good. Well, even for context. So I just watched the Foo Fighters put out like a horror comedy mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like really just making fun of 80s horror films or whatever. And even within that, I mean, there are scary moments. The music is so key to adding an air of suspense to movies like this and, and games like this. Absolutely. And when it comes to games, you're in control now versus a movie where you're like, please don't do it. Like that's spooky. I'm like, trying to look out for you, you can control yourself in a game. You can control not looking at the spooky. You can control yourself not walking down that hallway. So it's almost a harder instance of trying to make those things spooky while you're in control. And if you can make that work, like you've achieved a fantastic level to get people so immersed in that and just the feelings that go along with it is it's so good. And I mean, visuals in video games are great. I, I love a beautiful looking game. Like Gris, for example, which is an indie title, it's just colorfully beautiful, and but along with it is an amazing soundtrack. And you're seeing soundtracks are the things that really live, in my opinion, beyond a game. Because you may not have played, let's say you've never played Skyrim, which I think everyone has because it's on eighteen thousand versions. But if you hear some of the tracks from it, or you hear some of the tracks from Mario or Zelda, and you haven't played that. If you hear it, you know, versus yeah. just so many other things. And it's so iconic. And it hits that little dopamine center in your brain to be like, oh, it's going to be good. Because all of those, uh, the tracks from those games hit in like a very big, adventurous vibe. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about like the airiness of springtime melodies and flutes and woodwinds and all kinds of things that just sort of like emulate the opening of like a nice natural feel Mm -hmm. and left for dead and a lot of horror games like dead space. Yeah. You know, they utilize these really like screechy tones to just make you a little uneasy and it's subconscious in that way. But it works so, so well, and it was a, a great decision for this game. The soundtrack of this game absolutely, I think, represents what it was trying to convey. And on top of that, the fact that they were willing to 
make sure that players were having that audio represented to them individually, even if they were on teams, I think really shows their dedication to what audio means in terms of experience for video gaming. It changed it up. Having the AI director that can microscopically see those moments. Again, it's not just we're in the boss fight now. It's now shifted from la, 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 to like, bomb, bomb, bomb. It's shifted as we go through these things. And some is very light, and it could just be stuff of just no music, hearing what's around you. And then as like you hear this crescendo start to build a little bit, you're like, that's a horrible. The most, the most simplistic way of explaining it is if you've played Mario Kart. When mm-hmm. the first player passes the start line and they go on to their last lap, mm-hmm. the music changes for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're in the very last place yep. of the game. Like the, the music has changed. For whatever reason, this team decided that it doesn't matter where the first player is. Like the last player is just as important as the first player and they need to have their own experience. Absolutely. And, and it worked so well. So let's talk about what did the public think? And then eventually, what do we think? So on October 28th, 2008, Valve reported that pre-orders for Left 4 Dead had beaten those of the Orange Box by 95% Babe. after the Steam pre-order it was launched. Which is... Insane, because the Orange Box had classics. Classics. Orange Box was huge. Yeah. I mean, you're playing pretty much what was more the modern Valve library on it. And then, and I think that was still a quiet release, because I remember getting it for the 360 and playing Portal and TF2 that was on it and Half-Life episodes. And to like have this come out and and, and be pure like that's insane. And on November 21st, 2008, the day of the game's release in Europe, Valve issued a press release stating that Left 4 Dead had exceeded the pre-order numbers of the Orange Box by over 160%. And Baby. on August, oh, that's a big percent right there. And on August 11th, 2011, in a phone interview with Giant Bomb, Chet Falzek said that the series had sold over 11 million units in total. I mean, for, for a game like this, it's insane. And rightly so. Left 4 Dead received highly positive reviews from critics. At Metacritic, the game received an aggregated score of 89 out of 100 for both 360 and PC. IGN stated, It's almost pitch perfect in how it captures the tension and the action of a Hollywood zombie movie, and went on to describe it as quite possibly the perfect co-op shooter. I would agree. Giant Bomb commented that the Source engine was beginning to show its age, but praised the game's use of lighting and filmic effects that give the game world a desolate, washed-out feeling, as well as the realistic and emotive faces and the engrossing art direction. Eurogamer concluded that Left 4 Dead is another deeply professional, personality-filled, and progressive take on the shooter from Valve. Both IGN and GameSpot praised the game's replayability, but GameSpot criticized the limited map selection that could sometimes feel a bit repetitious. GameSpy noted the lack of an overall narrative between the campaigns was disappointing. However, some reviewers praised its faithfulness to the zombie film genre, including the deliberately ambiguous backstory and the amount of characterization and emotion brought by each of the four survivors. 
Team Xbox commented that clipping issues hurt the otherwise incredibly good visual experience, and Hideo Kojima, creator of the Metal Gear series, declared in an interview to OneUp.com that he was, quote, addicted to the game, which was, in his view, one of the, quote, core titles made with movie industry people that explore the depths of high def. Valve announced a 190-page digital comic that had been revealed in four parts in the weeks leading up to the release of Sacrifice. Part 1 was released on September 14, 2010, with a new part scheduled for release each week until the Sacrifice's October 5th release. The comic is illustrated by Mike Emming, the artist behind the Powers comic series, and tells the stories of the original four survivors, as well as the events leading up to the infection. The comic begins with Bill having just sacrificed himself to save the others, taking on three tanks while severely wounded. It then cuts to the finale of Blood Harvest, which is revealed to be one week earlier. In the Sacrifice DLC, any player whether playing as Bill or not, can choose to sacrifice themselves to allow the other survivors to complete the campaign. And Alex, I would never sacrifice myself for you. <laughs> no. The only way you would do it is if it was a first playthrough and be like, yeah, 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 just go hit that thing real quick. We're going to... Yeah. We'll, we'll get prepped. We're going to fight down here. You hit that yeah. thing just real quick. As soon as you knew what was going to happen, it's like, <laughs> no way, man. I'm not touching that thing. Yeah, uh, Zoe or whoever I'm not complaining, you know, playing as a uh, go do that, please. Yeah, have a good time. Yeah, I'm gonna be here on the uh, yeah on the boat. <laughs> on the boat, I'll, I'll keep it warm. <laughs> In March 2010, Valve announced that it would be bringing the Steam content platform to Mac OS X computers. Along with it, they will be providing native versions of existing Valve games, including Left 4 Dead and its sequel. The game was released for Mac OS X on October 27th, 2010 with Left 4 Dead support cross-platform play, allowing Mac players to play alongside PC players on the same servers. And it is also part of the Steam Play cross-compatible and Steam Cloud titles, allowing a player that had purchased the game on one platform to download and play it on other platforms for free. Overkill Software, the developers of Payday the Heist, a similar game to Left 4 Dead featuring four-player cooperative gameplay, announced in June 2012 that it had worked with Valve to create DLC for Payday in the form of a map mirroring the No Mercy level from Left 4 Dead. However, this DLC level is not canon to Left 4 Dead and does not lead to the infection that initiated the events in Left 4 Dead. For, for all those Left 4 Deaders out there that thought that this was going to be canon, just like, no, it's not. Mm. I know it's going to be expressed sometimes, but mm. it's not. Okay. All those, I, I know we're going to get those, those L4 Deaders. Weird. <laughs> Asking yeah, me. we're we're all definitely very obsessed with the canon <laughs> version of Left 4 Dead. For Dead. The sto- uh, if if you're not playing Left 4 Dead for the story, then why are you playing it? Exactly. Why even play? On August 20th, 2015, an update for the game Zombie Army Trilogy was released, which imported the eight survivors from both Left 4 Dead games into ZAT. Downloadable content for Zombie Army 4 Dead War in 2021 included the four Left 4 Dead survivors as playable characters as part of its co-op mode. And the character of Bill was introduced into the game Dead by Daylight in the game's DLC in 2017 and was given an expanded lore scenario around his time in the Vietnam War in addition to content that was released in 2021. So Bill's made his way. Bill actually 
Bill survived the world of Left 4 Dead to then be hunted by all of the killers from our nightmares. You know, it's, it's <laughs> what can I say? It's a crescendo in his life. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. You're having a rough go. Um, thanks for the boat. And uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, see you around, buddy. Yeah, I'll see you later, Bill. So, yeah, so that wraps up our coverage of Left 4 Dead. And as always, Derek, tell the people, why did we choose this game? What do you think of it? Xbox 360 was such a fun time mm-hmm. in terms of just like, like maybe it's just a fun time for us in terms of nostalgia, but just like a fun time where video games are becoming such a large, large industry and we're sort of having, you know, these couch co-ops and we're also having these like big cinematic experiences. And on top of that, zombies are coming back we're not you know these aren't the 80s zombies movies of old this is new zombies they're smart they're fast they're different they're not these slow grogging things that wander towards you that you get scared of Mm -hmm. and left for dead was hitting just i think all of the pedals right in the middle of the perfect time this game was so much fun as like a couch co-op party oh, yeah. game even. And I highly recommend it to people that haven't played it because couch co-op shooters just don't. I mean, this is like golden eye level couch yes. co-op to me. This game, like unless you've played it, it just it's almost indescribable. And that's why I was so excited for Pack for Blood because it really was left for dead was one of my favorite games to play with you because it didn't matter how many times we played through the same campaign left for dead Two, Obviously I think we played a lot more um, just because it had the varieties within the campaigns. You sure. could choose the different storylines or whatever, but there was just something really, really great and fun about a zombie shooter that, Left 4 Dead hit that other games weren't able to hit. Mm-hmm. And that other, whether it be films or, you know, TV shows or whatever else at the time, like this cashed in a little bit on that, but just so much fun. I mean, for me, like it's a nine out of 10. I had a great time with this game. I really miss that era of of zombies and I really miss playing this game with you. Oh. I love to hear it. Terrible rating, but I love to hear it. Anyway, let's get over to me no, now. number numbers are <laughs> numbers are. What'd you say? Nerds. Numbers are dumbers. Numbers are dumbers. Numbers are nerds. <laughs> get out of here. So I agree with it wholeheartedly. This this was kind of that launch into more of that couch co opy modern take on shooters. I mean, you had elements come into it with you know call of duty zombies and like you said world at war and eventually in some of the uh black ops and modern warfare stuff we talked about with those um and it it kind of brought it back it 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 took over a lot of what halo was lacking or what didn't lack or or, or changing it up giving you more of an arcade feel to it and less of a story driven very big narrative campaign well in halo almost they eventually stole from this and gears of war stole from it Mm -hmm. a little bit where they created sort of these like zombie 
campaigns. Uh, And you could argue maybe it's from like Call of Duty, World at War with their zombie mode. But zombies became such a a big campaign storyline from games like Left 4 Dead. Yeah. And and taking on like that zombie culture of, you know, like you said, like kind of making the zombie mode in Halo 2 into Halo 3 with that and making it more official as you had more of this zombie craze going around. And Left 4 Dead just fit that perfect slot of enough silliness to bring it to be lighthearted and fun, but serious and spooky enough to like, again, avoid the witch. When that music changes and a tank's coming, everyone's like, oh no, we have to prepare and get ready for this. Like, we need to be ready for this fight. And adding in the chaos of like boomers and smokers and just so many other characters that we see in both games um, that they, you know, add in and and alter in, in either of them, it just worked so well. And it was one of the first games in my recollection of of my play, my playhood, my playing of games that really had such a good horde mentality where like you knock a couple zombies down, they keep coming. And the AIs, you know, spawning behind buildings and spawning behind stuff, but like they keep coming, especially when a horde happens, it feels like a horde. It was the first time anything like that felt overwhelming. It felt daunting to actually go into that. No, you can kind of punch them back and, and, and fire off into them, but yeah. it still created that tension that games really did not have until this time. You got a little bit of in Halo, especially in uh, Combat Evolved, when you first see the flood. Like it definitely did well with the instrumentation and the implementation of it, of, of the introduction to it and feeling overwhelmed, especially in like the library. But yeah, when it comes to this, especially in arcade mode, it did it so well. It, flood it was is so good. A, flood is definitely a great example of a, a comparison. Mm-hmm. And this game felt even more overwhelming than that. It did. Just like with flood, you know, that you've got the, basically the, the tank, like bomber guy mm-hmm. that, that shows up. You've got the tanks as well. There's definitely a lot of similarities that I think we could draw from the Halo games sure. and the Flood to this zombie type of of game. But there was something very specific, especially about the witch, where you could totally avoid a witch in a campaign, mm-hmm. but as soon as someone in your party like activated the witch, you knew. Because yes. of the music, because of the vibe of the game, and it's, you had to go and save them. And so, like, you and I are playing this game, and then from the next room over or whatever, like, in a house. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hey, Derek, Derek, come get me. I'm getting <laughs> destroyed by this witch. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna come. I'll try and find you. And then, oh, no, I'm getting, you know, there's a tank that destroys you from the side and mm-hmm. it's different in that sense whereas within halo you're just dying where yeah. in these games they made you feel helpless as well yes yeah i mean huge shift and like set the stage and set the center point for what turtle rock could do with it and it was so good and it's just so funny to like see people come together from just being like modders in the community like modding different games and then being like, all right, come on full time and work for this. Like that's how you get these great titles out there. It's like basically everything was half-life very much yeah. like everything is dead rising, but well, everything was half-life and then modded from that and then taken ideas from it. And it worked. Dead rising 
kind of sucked. But we could save that for another episode. You get that out of your mouth. Dead Rising is the spawn <laughs> of every game ever created. Dead Rising is true. Dead Rising, Dead Rising is, is like life. one of my least favorite games of all time. But we can oh, save I love that it for so much. Episode. But we can we can chat about it another time. But let's go ahead. <laughs> if I'm giving give this a your score, rating. if I have to give a score, if I have to give a score, I, give a score. I would give it probably a tank that charges off half the team in the hospital window. Divide that by the number of times teammates had quit on me. Add in the spookiness of the witch's wee-wah-woo-wah wah music. <laughs> That's a, that was a direct interpretation of it, by the way. Um, and then My name's probably- Switch. <laughs> Wah-woo-wee-wah. <laughs> Oh, look at me. Which look the castle? Me. Which the I'm castle? on a ledge. Like I'm on a ledge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, versus that. And then um, Francis, just honestly being Francis. Out of oh, ten. Francis. Oh, Francis. Okay. That was good. I liked Thank it. Thank you. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, Derek Baker, and Evan Barr, and our intro and outro music was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr, and our beautiful new artwork for the podcast was given to us by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people, as always. I want to thank those beautiful people that support us on Patreon. If you want to directly support us, it's one of the best ways to do it, as well as merch purchases. Um, But we have some really cool stuff going on there. Minecraft server, various other servers we're looking at. And we've got a D&D campaign that is so much fun that we're working towards, plus bonus episodes and all, those, you know, all the fun stuff. But let's thank those people today with Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Nick Hyman, Mick Chief, Climbing Spork, and Mr. 1898, as well as the various others at various levels. Thank you all so much for the support. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter or join our Discord. We're always having a lot of fun. In the Discord, Alex and I are there all the time, hanging out, having a good time. And we'd love to see you. Absolutely. And if you want to check us out on Twitch, you can check me out at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That is twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. Twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform, Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you guys. It helps us out a lot. And as well, we've got Q&As going all the time on the Spotify app. Drop us a reply. We love seeing those replies. We love the interaction. If you're not heading up in the Discord, we can at least see you there. And we just love to hear from you. Absolutely. And that was our coverage of Left 4 Dead. What's your opinion on zombie games? Should they make a comeback? Should we get some more? Couch co-op happening up in her, as they say. And with that, I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Nelly. <laughs> and this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>